again this morning turn to James chapter 5 as we focus on this message of learning one of life's hardest lessons. In fact, we have two more sermons after this one in the book of James and we'll finish this book of the Bible. I pray it's been helpful to you in the room and to those who watch online and worship with us. It's been a joy for me to teach through the book of James. Uh, he shot it straight to us, there's no doubt, and we're going to see even some of that today. But learning life's one of hardest lessons and that is patience. How many of you struggle with patience? Uh, why does that traffic light, why is it taking forever to change? How can that drive through at the fast food restaurant be so slow? Why is the internet taking forever to connect? And then God, why do you take forever to answer when I pray to you and need something in my life? Those are just common things that we deal with when we come with patience. But one of life's hardest lessons to learn is to wait upon God and to be patient in life. My mother, who's been with the Lord about 10 years now, was a very patient person. And I remember growing up in our small country, Southern Baptist Church, and, and uh, we didn't have a lot of bulletins or anything like that growing up. And so we would sit in the service, and sometimes it was difficult for my brother and I to sit still, be quiet. My mother would be patient with us, and there was a time her patience ran out, and she would take us outside. Any of you have memories of those things? And so she would walk us outside, and we would have a little come-to-Jesus meeting, but also come to with my mother. And then we'd go back in, and things would expect to be different once we got back in there. Uh, it's like the little boy one time, him and his mother were sitting close to the front, and he just could not be still, could not be quiet, and so his mother had had enough, and she picks him up, and they start at the aisle, and he gets about halfway down the aisle with his mother and getting ready to go outside, and he just screamed out, pray for me, and, uh, and so uh, the service was pretty much over after that when he did that, so you probably had some of those experiences, but patience, as you think about patience, why is it so difficult to wait upon the Lord? As we think about patience, I... I was thinking again about we were at Sam's just the other day and we had just a bunch of bananas. That's the only thing we had. Uh, lines were everywhere and so we found one we thought would probably be the quickest and we get in that line and I look in the basket and the guy has a load of stuff in his basket and come to find out he spent over $500 in that line and we just had a bunch of bananas, a handful of bananas. And so I thought at times to say to Angie, we don't want to wait in this line. Let's just put the bananas over here and we'll get them somewhere else. And then I thought, well, I'm going to preach this sermon on Sunday about patience. I better stand in this line and endure this and to get through it. Because you know this, when you think about the work of the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How patient are you as a believer in Christ? Are you willing to wait upon the Lord in your life? And are you willing to endure whatever it takes for you to learn to be patient and to wait upon the Lord in life? There was a young, young guy, young believer, went to an older believer one day whom he respected and had a lot of endurance for and just went to him and just said, would you pray for me in a very specific area? And the older gentleman said, I'd love to do that. How can I pray for you? And the young man said, would you pray that I would be a more patient person in life? And so the older man said to the younger man, why don't we just pray now? And so he invited him to get on his knees. And so the older man, wise in the Lord, gets on his knees with this younger man. He starts praying, adoring God in his prayer. And then he says, God, I thank you that I can pray for this young man and called him by his name. 
And then the older man started praying, said, Lord, send this young man tribulation in the morning. And then he prayed, Lord, send this young man tribulation in the afternoon. Then the older man said, Lord, send this young man tribulation. And then before he could say in the evening, the young man stopped him and said, wait a minute, I I didn't ask you to pray for tribulation. I asked you to pray that I would be more patient in life. And the older man looked at the younger man and said, oh, son, you need to realize this. It's through tribulation that we learn patience. Are you willing to be patient on the Lord? There there are times in the Christian life we wonder why our prayers aren't making a difference because at times, as you and I pray, we want God to answer on our time and not his. But you and I also need to realize waiting on God, being patient with him, is not a waste of time in your life. It's a valuable spiritual discipline to say, Lord, I'm going to wait for you. I'm not going to get ahead of you. I'm not going to lag behind you. I'm going to wait upon you. I want to be patient. We see that coming up here in James chapter 5. But as you look at your outline, I want to give you these three spiritual advantages of being patient. And I want you to write these things down. One, if you're going to be patient, you'll stay in step with God's timing. God's timing oftentimes is very different than ours. There are many times in a Christian life we get ahead of God's leadership. There are times we get behind his leadership. We're lagging behind. But as you and I learn to be patient and to wait upon the Lord, we stay in step with God's timing. That is a wonderful place to be in life, in step with the timing of God for your life. That's an advantage of being patient. God, I just stay in step with you. I'm not ahead of you. God, I'm not lagging behind you. But God, I'm staying in step with you. Number two, come to know the Lord more intimately. As you wait upon the Lord, what do you do? You seek the Lord's heart. Be still and know that I am God. And so as you seek the Lord's heart, as you seek him first in your life, what do you do? You come to know him more intimately. That is a great spiritual pursuit to say, God, I want to stay in step with your timing, but I want to come to know you more intimately. Where I'm at now, I don't want to be at this place a year from now. I want to be more intimate with you than ever before. And so as you're waiting on the Lord and you're patient with him, those things happen. Look at number three, time to evaluate motives about a situation. For example, maybe you're looking at a promotion in your vocation and you evaluate the motives of that. God, am I wanting this promotion? Is it about self or is it about the Savior in my life? You can evaluate the motives of that. Last week, we celebrated seven baptisms in our worship gathering. We're praying for many, many more. And somewhere we come and say, God, we evaluate the motives. Why are we wanting more people to be baptized? Is it for the glory of God or is it for making a good name for ourselves? What do we desire? And there was a verse, and I just made a note of it here in my Bible. In my devotion a couple weeks ago, the Lord, as I was reading through the Gospel of John, the Lord really used to speak into my life out of John chapter 12, verse 43. It says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And somewhere you've got to check your motives. Am I doing this for the glory of man or am I doing this for the glory of God? And so when you wait upon God, you evaluate the situation to say, God, I want to make sure my motives are right. I want to stay in step with your timing. I want to know you more intimately, but I want my motives to be right in your eyes. I'm doing it for your glory, not the glory of man. Those are spiritual advantages of waiting upon God and being patient with him. Well, look at your other outline here. I want to walk through this. 
James chapter 5, encourage you to find your place in God's Word as we walk through this text and just encourage you to take some good notes. As we follow this, I want to help you to learn to be patient and to wait upon the Lord because those who do, we can't even comprehend what He wants to do in our midst when we're patient and we wait upon Him. Number one, be patient in sowing. Does it matter what you and I believe in the Christian life? It matters a great deal. As you and I think about what the Bible says, it is wise to sow. Those of us in the spiritual life, there are times we're going to work the ground, we're going to sow the seed, we're going to water the seed, and then we're praying and waiting on God to bring the harvest. If you and I are going to see multitudes of people come to Christ, and we're going to see a harvest of new believers, there must be sowing that takes place. We must be casting the seeds of the gospel to people around us, everywhere we go. Just be patient in sowing. What James is going to do here in James chapter 5, he says, be patient. So that is a command, that is an imperative. It's not an option, it's not a suggestion, it's something that God wants us to do. Again, James is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be patient, therefore, brothers. He's writing to those who are believers in Christ. Those who have turned from their sin, put their faith and trust in Christ, those are the ones he's writing to, as well as to you and to me. Until the coming of the Lord, James was clear that one day Jesus Christ is coming again. He's clear about that. So be patient in sowing because one day Jesus is coming again. The first time he came as a suffering servant. The next time he comes, he's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming in victory. He's coming to rule and to reign. So as we see that, be patient to the coming of the Lord. And then he transitioned to talk about the farmer. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious food of the earth being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so, so what, is, what is James saying? He's just saying, look at the farmer. How many of you were farmers in your life? How many of you grew up on a farm? How many of you worked on a farm growing up? Many of my family were farmers growing up. I remember what it was like to work in the tobacco fields and the hay fields. Hard, hard work. I saw them planting crops. I saw and heard them praying for rain, that God would send rain at the right time because their livelihoods depended on it. They were waiting for the fruit of those crops. You can learn something from farmers. Or you can learn something from theologians, but you can learn a lot from farmers as well. And so in this context, James is saying, just look at the farmer, see the farmer, how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He's got to sow, he's got to water, he's got to wait, and then he waits for the Lord to bring the harvest. So as we think about this, I want you to look at some things here. Number one is the idea of basics. What are the basics? You and I, the basics are we're going to sow seed. And what seed are we sowing? We're sowing the seed of the gospel. And so if we're going to sow the seed of the gospel, what's required of that? One is that we need to pray, but also we need to share. We need to pray for opportunities that God will send our way. But then when God opens doors for us, that we will have gospel conversations with people. One of the things we're doing in our staff meeting every week is just talking about gospel conversations and personal invites. Who have you invited to come and join us at First Baptist Church? And then who are you sharing the gospel with in your life? How are you seeing God open doors of opportunities for you? If I ask you in your life as kids, students, adults, who are you praying for to know Christ? But who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you sowing seeds with in life? Those are the basics. Number two, the word beliefs. What we believe really does matter. 
The farmer believes that when he sows the seed and he waters it, somewhere there's going to be a harvest. He believes that. Beliefs do matter. You and I need to make sure we have the right beliefs in the Christian life. How does a person go to heaven? Is Jesus Christ the only way to be saved? Is the Bible true from Genesis to Revelation? Does God always love you and me? It's forgiveness in Christ. It matters what you and I believe. Is Jesus Christ coming again? So you and I need to make sure we understand the basics of sowing and reaping, but also we need to understand we have the right beliefs in the Christian life. Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Jesus Christ is coming again. The Bible is the Word of God. And there are not three ways to be saved. It is Jesus Christ and Him alone. So we understand the basics. We have the right beliefs, and then number three, behaviors. Then we act the right way. The farmer does that. When the farmer sows the field and the crops and the seeds, he doesn't take the next number of months off. He knows there's still work to be done. So there's got to be watering. There's got to be work in the land. You've got to make sure weeds don't get in the way. So even though once he sows the seeds, work still needs to be done, you and I need to have the right behaviors in the Christian life. And so here are some of the behaviors for us. We need to make sure that we worship the Lord God and Him alone. We need to make sure that we evangelize those who are outside of a relationship to Christ. We need to make sure that we disciple those who are believers in the Lord Jesus. We need to make sure that we fellowship with one another, share life together, the mountains and the valleys. We need to make sure that we serve in ministry. If you're saved, you're gifted, He wants to use you. We need to make sure that we're doing missions literally in our city and around the world. And we need to make sure that we are prayerful for everything we do as a church because His church is to be a house of prayer. And those are some of our behaviors. Now, as you think about this, as you think about your expectations for the future, what are you looking forward to? Many of us would say this, I can't wait to vacation. We're going to get away at the beach or the mountains and we're going to take it easy. Excited about that. I can't wait for a birthday or an anniversary or many people over this past week celebrating graduations. Those are great things to anticipate and look forward to. But let me ask you this today. Looking at the book of James, be patient. Look at the farmer. Why? Because the Lord is coming. His coming is at hand. How many of you are anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Here's what happened in Bible days. When you read the Bible, you see that these individuals, they expected the return of Christ to happen at any moment. And then you look at our generation of believers, we rarely even think about the second coming of Christ. Somewhere we've got to find balance in that to say the coming of the Lord is at hand. Truth of the matter is, Jesus could come at any moment before I finish this message. The sound of the trumpet could happen and the Lord Jesus could return again. Hallelujah for that. Come, Lord Jesus. But as you and I think about the return of Christ, we need to be realizing that Jesus could come again. We need to be ready for that. I heard Dr. Alistair Begg say the other day in, in reference to the return of Christ, he uses three words to talk about the return of Christ, one being the word secret. You and I don't know when he's going to come. He could come today, he could come tomorrow, could be years from now, but it's a secret to us, not to him but to us. He also this, used this word separation, that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, what, we're going to be separated. One's going to be in the house, one's going to be in the field, one's going to be taken, one's not going to be taken. But it's also going to be sudden. Life's going to be going on as normal. You're going to be in the grocery store, you're going to be preparing for surgery, you're going to be doing a business deal, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes again. 
Now, as you and I think about the return of Christ, be patient in sowing, how should the return of Jesus make a difference in our lives? And I believe it should. And I'm just going to give you two ways here. I believe the return of Christ should make a difference in our lives. One is godly living. As you and I think about the second coming of Jesus, he is going to come again. That is not up for debate. That's what the Bible says. That's what James says. The coming of the Lord is at hand. He is coming again. That should influence the way I live because would I want Jesus to come with me in that environment or, or involved in that behavior should lead to godly living. You and I should, it should cause us to reflect on to say, do I want to do that? Do I want to say that? Do I want to go there? Do I want to be at this place? If Jesus came back, would I want him to find me at that place? Second thing it should do is personal evangelism. You and I should be sharing the good news of Christ with urgency with people. Why? Because we don't know the day of hour he's going to come back. And so we need to make sure people are spiritually ready to be with Christ. If, if life ended the day or Jesus returned again, would they be ready to meet him and spend eternity with him? So be patient in sowing. Why? Because that's what James says. Look at the farmer. You pay attention to the farmer and see what's going on in his life. He is a patient man. You and I need to be patient. Look at number two. Be patient in speaking. James is going to go on to say, Be patient, therefore, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. He talks about the farmer. And then he says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then he says this, Do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Look down in verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What is James saying? He's just saying you need to be truthful in your speech. First, he says don't grumble with one another. How many of us grumble in the Christian life? How many of us grumble against brothers or sisters in Christ? How many of us do that? And here's what I found in life. If we're impatient with God, it's easy to become impatient with one another. We need to be patient with God so we'll be patient with one another. And then he says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. He's just saying, speak the truth. As you and I realize in the Christian life, God is truthful. Our God never lies. Our God never deceives. Our God never misleads. Our God is truthful. You also realize, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, if you know the Son, you shall be free. Why? Because you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Holy Spirit is, is one of truth. Again, why? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Bible says in John chapter 16, the Spirit will guide you and me in truth. So one, we see the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, a reflection of truth. We look at the Bible. Is the Bible true or false? The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is true. Every word in this book from Genesis to Revelation is the truth of Almighty God for you and me. And so when you and I think about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, truth. When you and I think about the Word of God, the Bible says truth. But what about the devil? Is the devil truthful or a liar? The Bible says the devil is the father of all lies. And so when you and I speak and we grumble and we don't speak truth, who are we acting like? You and I need to act like God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit who lives on the inside of us. We don't need to act like the devil, so we shouldn't grumble with one another. We should say yes is yes, no is no. Speak the truth. Be patient in speaking the truth. Now look at your outline. 
Let's, let's go for this. Let's say at a, at a moment we just find ourselves uh, not speaking truth. We're not patient in speaking. What happens in the midst of that? Number one, division takes place. Folks, the enemy loves to divide the people of God. He loves to divide this church. He loves to divide families and marriages. He wants division to take place. So you and I need to speak the truth. Why? Because we value truth from God and the Word, not the devil. So we, we don't want division to take place. But when you and I aren't patient in speaking, division takes place. Number two, focus becomes inward. We no longer see the lost people out there around us. The focus is inward. What's best for me? What's best for us? Now, how do we get the gospel to as many people as possible? Number three, vision is abandoned. And we're no longer about vision. What has God given us? He says, I want you to worship me. I want you to love people, share Jesus, make disciples. When we're not patient in speaking, we abandon the vision God has given you of me, the great commandment and the great commission. Then number four, the harvest is neglected. We don't even see lost people anymore. That's why we need to be patient. Patient in sowing, patient also in speaking so that we don't lose the vision, we don't miss the harvest, so that we're not divided, but so we can share the gospel, the good news, the main thing with as many people as possible. That's God's call for every single one. Now, he goes on, James says this, as I'm teaching the word of God to you, he goes on to say, one, I want you to pay attention to the farmer, but he also says, I want you to pay attention to the prophets or servants. As you know, they had very difficult assignments, not easy at all, but they were faithful to God. Just because you're called of God doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. Uh, many people in the Old Testament, they liked the false prophets because they said what people wanted to hear. They didn't like the true prophets because they spoke the word of God to people. They stepped on toes and stepped on lives, and people didn't like it. Look at the blank. Look at one Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called of God from birth. An incredible prophet of God. But Jeremiah faced people who hated him and didn't like him. Jeremiah even despised the very day that he was born in his life. He wanted to run from the call of God on his life. But what did he say? God, your work is like a fire in my bones. I can't contain it in. I've got to speak the truth of God. Jeremiah was passionate and patient in his speaking. Look at Daniel's, the second one. Daniel, a young man that God used in great ways, but because of his faithfulness to God, ended up in the lion's den. But God showed up in a powerful way. And just again, because you surrender your life to God and you follow him, don't, don't believe hard days aren't coming your way. Be patient in sowing, be patient in speaking. And then look at Joseph. Joseph was an incredible young man. He resisted temptation. He did everything that God asked him to do. He had his brothers in the palm of his hand. He could have done anything he wanted to do with them, but he forgave them and did what God wanted him to do with him. Joseph was an incredible servant of God in his life. And those men were patient as they waited upon the Lord to bring about justice and righteousness even in their midst. You're going to find days in life and ministry. Here's what's going to happen. God, I'm not sure those people like me. And God, I'm not sure those people are even listening to what I'm saying. And God, I'm not sure my message is getting through to them. Well, I'm going to challenge you when you have those temptations and those thoughts. Do not quit. Do not throw in the towel. Do not walk away. Be patient in sowing. Be patient in speaking. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Daniel. Look at Joseph. I could give you so many other examples. God is faithful, and he will move on his time, not yours or mine. Be faithful and be patient.
Number three, be patient in surviving. James in James chapter 5 talks about the farmer. He talks about the prophets. And then he says in verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the word of the Lord. Behold, we consider blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What do we know about God? We know this. God is holy. God is gracious. God is compassionate. And God is merciful. He is an amazing, amazing Heavenly Father. And then what does he do here? He talks about Job. George Barna asked a group of believers one time, and just people in general to say, if you could ask God one question, what question would you ask him? And you just imagine that in your own life. You could ask the Holy Father one question, what question would you ask him? By far the most popular question, individuals said, if I could ask God one question, Here's the question I would ask him is this. God, why do you allow pain and suffering in life? Common question. Come on out of Uvalde, Texas. Buffalo, New York. Church in California. Just day-to-day life experiences in your life and my life. God, why do you allow pain and suffering in my life, the people whom I love, people I'm around, people whom I know? Why do you allow that? And then James says this, I want you to think about the servant Job. Job was a wealthy man. Job had incredible favor with God. And the enemy had a conversation with God and said, if you'll let me do some things to Job, he will turn his back on you and walk away from you. And God gave him permission to do some things to Job. And you understand the story. You know Job lost his possessions. Job lost his wealth. He lost his own health. And then if that wasn't enough, Job lost his own family. But Job didn't lose his life. And Job found himself in an interesting situation where he was going to be patient and surviving. His wife had some words for him too. What did she say to Job? Did she say to him, Job, why don't you go to a prayer meeting next Wednesday night? Did she say to him, Job, why don't you seek out one of your accountability partners and let that person share truth in your life? Job, why don't you go seek out a professional counselor who, who can listen to you and share insights about your life? She didn't say any of those things to her husband. Again, Job was suffering physically. He lost his family, all of his possessions and wealth, gone. And what does his wife say to him? Job, why don't you curse God and die? I mean, she suffered as well. But Job was patient in surviving. Here's what I know today in this room. There are people in this room, there are people watching. You are in pain and suffering in your life. Your marriage is suffering. Your family is suffering. Your finances are suffering. Your physical body is suffering. And you're looking at life saying, God, can we hang on? Are we going to make it? Is our marriage going to survive? Is our family going to stay together? God, are we going to make it this month financially? And God, can I give another day or a week to this cancer fight that I'm in? Can I do it? I just encourage you, be patient in surviving. So how can you say that? Here's why. Because God is patient with you and me. Aren't you grateful for the patience of God to you and me? He is compassionate. He is merciful. He is holy. He is gracious, but he is also patient with you and me. The patience of God. 
How many times have we known what God wanted us to do? He wanted us to respond to the invitation to give our lives to Christ. He wanted us to respond to the invitation to be baptized. Respond in the invitation to join the fellowship of the church. Respond in the invitation to call to ministry. Respond in the invitation to forgive a brother or sister in Christ. Respond in the invitation to serve him in some way. But we kept saying no, 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 or delay, delay, delay. The patience of God is with you and me. He is patient with us. And because he's patient with us, we need to be patient with others in sowing and speaking, but in surviving as well. And here's what I know. If you're going to be all that God wants you to be in the Christian life, You're going to have to learn this hard lesson in life. One of the hardest lessons to learn in life is to wait on God and to be patient with him. Here's why. Look at number one. To grow in Christ requires patience. Folks, you know this. This is elementary stuff. But when you give your life to Christ, you're not mature in the next next week or the next year. I mean, it is years upon years praying, reading the Word of God, fellowshipping with God's people, worshiping Almighty God. It takes years to grow the spiritual maturity in your life. You've got to be patient in the Christian life. Good segment to survive life storms. Folks, I hope you realize there are times life doesn't go as planned for us. We find ourselves in the midst of a fierce battle storm in life. And if you're going to withstand that storm and survive in the midst of that, you've got to be patient with God and patient in life. If the storm doesn't end overnight, sometimes it goes on for days, weeks, and months, maybe even years. You've got to either be calm in the storm or let God calm the storm. But somewhere you've got to be patient in life storms. Number three, to build God's church. Folks, we're, we're doing a work of God in this midst, and it doesn't just happen in the first few months or the first few years. It takes years to build the church of God the way he wants. We've got to be patient with him as he works. Why? Again, he works on his timing and not ours. Number four, to serve in ministry. Serving in ministry requires patience because there are going to be days you think, it can't get any better than this. And there are going to be days you think, God, I didn't realize it was going to be like this. And somewhere you've got to be patient in the midst of that to say, God, in the midst of the tribulation but the joys, you're working in my life. You're shaping me into the image of Christ. Serve in ministry, you've got to be patient. Number five, to see spiritual fruit. You've got to be patient to see spiritual fruit. When you sow and you water, you water and you water, and then one day there's fruit. How many gospel conversations have we had with people People we love, I'm sowing the gospel, sharing the gospel. No salvation. Be patient. How many Sundays we give an invitation? Maybe there's people who respond and other Sundays no one who... Be, be patient in the midst of that. Why? Because it takes time to see spiritual fruit. Many years ago I was on the golf course. And, uh, we were playing in Orlando, Florida and I had the opportunity of being on the golf course at the same time that Mr. Arnold Palmer was on the golf course. I was on the number eight green, and he was on the number two tee, which were beside each other. And it was a joy to see one of the greatest golfers in life to be on the golf course the same time I was on the golf course. And then I remember this story. Many, many years ago, the king of Saudi Arabia contacted Mr. Arnold Palmer and said, I'd like for you to come to Saudi Arabia and play golf. And he said, if you agree to do so, I'll send my private jet to pick you up. 
and bring you to Saudi Arabia. You'll be able to play golf for a number of days, and then I'll fly you back home. Mr. Palmer agreed to go to Saudi Arabia to do that. So the king of Saudi Arabia sent his private jet to Mr. Palmer there in Orlando, picked him up, flew him to Saudi Arabia, and Mr. Palmer said this, those are some of the four greatest days of my life. It was an incredible golf, but it was also just luxurious accommodations. He said, I had an incredible time with the king and other people in Saudi Arabia. So it was coming time for Mr. Palmer to leave Saudi Arabia and come back home to the United States. And the king of Saudi Arabia said to Mr. Palmer, I want to give you a gift. What would you like and what can I give you? Because you've given your time to be here. Mr. Palmer, very with humility, said, I don't need anything. These last four days have been amazing. I don't need anything else. And the king of Saudi Arabia said, no, no, Mr. Palmer, I want to give you a gift. What would you like? And so Mr. Palmer collected golf clubs and he just said to the king of Saudi Arabia, just give me a golf club. And Mr. Palmer thought, well, probably he'll send me a gold golf club or he'll send me a golf club laced with diamonds, something like that. So Mr. Palmer gets back home and it's like a kid at Christmas. He's waiting every day. When is the king of Saudi Arabia going to send me a golf club? Well, one day there was a letter that came in the mail. It was certified. Mr. Palmer signed for it. And he opened the letter and inside the letter was a deed to a 500-acre golf club in the United States. A little different than Mr. Palmer had thought. But here's the takeaway of that story. Kings think different than we do. They don't think the same. Mr. Palmer thought just a golf club. The king of Saudi Arabia thought, yeah, a golf club, like 500 acres worth. Kings think different than we do. We have a king of kings and lord of lords. In church, he often thinks different than we do. He will bless us beyond anything we can ask, think, or imagine if we will learn to wait upon him and to be patient with him. But are you waiting upon him? And are you patient with him? Well, be patient in sowing the gospel. Wait for him to bring the harvest. Be patient in speaking. Don't grumble with one another. Let your yes be yes, your no, no. Speak the truth because he's truth. The word is truth. Be patient in surviving because there are going to be days life is difficult and hard. Just as Job had difficult days, but he was faithful to God and patient with him. You be patient as well. And you say, well, how can I do that? You can only do that because of how amazing his grace is in your life. The amazing grace of God helps us to sow, helps us to speak, helps us to survive. It's his grace. Let's bow together. So we bow together this morning and those in the room and online. God's patient with you and me. It's our challenge to be patient with him. But what is he asking you to do today? Give your life to Christ. Follow him in baptism. Join this church. Say yes to Christian ministry. Or just honestly, God, I've not been patient with you. I've got ahead of your leadership or I've lagged behind your leadership because I've become impatient with you. But because of his amazing grace today, we're going to be here in front. Our pastoral team will be here. Our prayer team will be here as well. We just encourage you to obey the leadership of God. Come and give your life to Christ. Come and share that you need to be baptized as a believer. 
uh, come and share that you want to join the fellowship of this church and come and share that God's working in your life in a very specific way and you want to obey him. We'd love to help you in the room or online. You can respond to us, the platform you're watching on. But we would love to help you. As God's patient with you and me, we want to be patient with one another. But when God speaks and we know what God wants us to do, then we need to obey the leadership of God. And we can obey today because of his grace. So, Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the the preaching of your word and the singing of truth today. And, God, thank you for how amazing your grace is. And so in this time of response, I know it's in a public context, but, Jesus, you died and gave your life before other people. And help us to make public decisions today. Father, we can do so because of how amazing your grace is. We love you and we thank you. And, God, we just love that you're inviting us to come to you today and to surrender our lives to you and we'll never be the same thank you lord jesus and it's in your name i pray amen